Awesome. Well, good to see y'all. How are you doing this morning? Yeah, come on. Some of you are doing great. Some of you are kind of like, well, I made it. And that's all right. I tell people all the time that, you know, half the battle is showing up, isn't it? I mean, sometimes half the battle is just showing up, and, and uh, I know that there can be all kinds of things that stand in your way of getting here, but you're here. And so, my heart for you today is as you're here, that you would open yourself up to the possibility that the God of the universe that created you, created all things, wants to speak into your life. I mean, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty awesome to me. That we serve a God that wants to interact with his people. And so as we open his, this word of his, that he would speak to each one of us in a powerful way. And so for all of you that are joining us online, thanks for being with us as well. As we continue a series called The Blessed Life. Uh, if you missed anything, uh, we started last week. If you missed any of that, you can find it online or you can find it on our app. And just simply go there and look for The Blessed Life and you'll find that message. Uh, and Really, that message was all about the heart. And today we sing about God being on the throne of our heart. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that it can be really easy for things and people and stuff and responsibilities to sometimes start taking over in our lives to where God isn't always on the throne of our hearts. Wouldn't you say that's fair? For the Christians in the room, I suspect you know what I'm talking about. For somebody in the room that maybe hasn't given their life to Christ today, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. It might even be the reason you're here this morning. And so I'm just excited that you're here as we continue this series um, called The Blessed Life. Now, I always want to give honor where it's due. And um, this message series that we're doing comes from a book. And, and, and I, you probably have already figured out what the title of the book is but it's called the blessed life and i didn't write this book i wish i had written this book um but i didn't but i can tell you this i have been influenced tremendously by this book and so pastor robert morris has written i believe one of the best books on generosity and the heart of god within that and so i just want to encourage you if you don't have this book as a church, we believe so strongly in this that we want to sow a seed into your life, no cost to you. And so if you don't have this book or you haven't ever received this book, as you leave today at each door, there's a little, uh, like a little stand and on it are some books. And so if you would like to take one, it's yours. It's a gift. I just ask that you read it. You know what I mean? I don't have any interest in you putting it in your library so you can like show people your books <laughs> that you've never read. <laughs> I would much rather you read it. So if you'll commit to me that you'll read it, please take it. Uh, and I just fundamentally believe that if you'll give the time to read this book, that God will radically change your perspective and help you see what he's all about. Because see, this is what I know. And, and this is why people love the God that we worship is that the God that we worship is generous. The God that we worship is a giver. We see that captured so clearly in Jesus that he was willing to send his son for you and for me, his most precious gift. The Bible says that so clearly, doesn't it, in John three 16, you've heard it? Maybe you've seen it at a baseball game? That God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his most precious gift, 
And I can't think of a better picture of somebody who was willing to give it all for you and for me. And you know what he asks us to do? He asks us to receive it, but then give it away. Like that's what he calls us all to do, to be blessed so that we can be a blessing, to receive the grace of God so that we can then give it, so that, so that we can sow it into the world and see a harvest. Come on. And so this is the God that we worship. And so as we dive into week two of the blessed life, I want you to be encouraged by the fact that we serve a God uh, that is absolutely generous and wants us to be generous as well. Now, by show of hands, how many of you receive a paycheck uh, once a week? A couple of you. How many of you receive a paycheck on the 1st and the 15th? A couple of you. How many of you don't ever receive a paycheck in Jesus' name? How many of you wish you received a paycheck in Jesus' name? Come on. <laughs> the truth is that all of us have probably interacted in with this. If you're younger, you maybe have never received a paycheck yet, but you're hoping someday maybe you will, or maybe you're wanting a job and you haven't received that job yet. But, but, but here's the thing I know, that it, every week, two weeks, monthly, whatever, most of the time in all of our lives, there's some kind of paycheck coming into our lives. Now, I've titled this message, What Test?, because perhaps as a young person, you went to school, you showed up in the schoolroom, and you looked around, and everybody had their books open. Come on. And you were like, what's going on? Why is everybody so quiet? And then somebody says to you, there's a test today. And you were like, what test? I don't know if that was you. I mean, I was always on the ball. I never had this problem. But perhaps you had this problem of like, what test? What are you talking about? I didn't, there's a test today, right? And, and, and here's the thing that I want us to see, that every time we receive a paycheck, there's a test. There's a test. Now, the question is, is whether or not we're passing the test is really kind of where we're going today. But I do know this, that if you receive a paycheck, you're always faced with a choice. And the choice is either to put God first or not. To put God first or not. Now, I don't know if you're passing that test right now. I don't know if you're like doing it really well or maybe you've never done it before. But the thing that I think all of us have to understand is that had God set up the universe, God set up the world in the way that he did was to make sure that when we received whatever it is we're receiving, that we would thank God for it by putting him first when it came to our increase. Now, I know that when I talk about things like this, church environments, a lot of times people are annoyed. They don't like the fact that I'm talking about it. Some people are uncomfortable with it. That you, there's parts of people that think that the preacher wants and needs my money. I mean, it, there's all kinds of, there's church hurt behind it, you know. Someone didn't thank you, or maybe something happened. And, or maybe, maybe someone did something with the money they shouldn't have. Come on. I mean, that kind of stuff happens. But the thing that I always want to do in this series is say, look, I get it. There's all kinds of things that can happen because people are people. People are sinful. People do dumb things, right? I mean, we just do. We, that's why we need Jesus. But the thing that I've learned is that sometimes what happens is we stop doing the things that God has called us to do because somebody else did something. And I just want to suggest to you that that's not a good way to go. 
You need to take ownership for your life and look at what God has done and what God is doing and honor him in his word. That's what it's important. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you can get mad all you want, but you have to deal with God's word. And if you reject that outright, that's on you. It's not on me. Yes? It's your choice. And so what I always want to do is once a year drive us back to this heart of the matter because I really believe that all of us have a test to pass. But many of us are not passing the test. So I want to turn to Malachi. If you've ever read the book of Malachi, it's a minor prophet. And um, in the book of Malachi, starting in chapter 3, Perhaps you've heard these verses, but this is Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 6. Now, Malachi was a, a prophet, and what's crazy about the book of Malachi, if you look at it, it's all about turning to God. Turn to God in your life. Turn to God in your family. Turn to God in your finances. And then God says in chapter 4 that he'll do all of these amazing things if you do. Do you believe that God is true to his promises? Now, I don't know if you do. You may or you may not. But if you do believe that God comes through, that when he says he's going to do something, then what you have to do is recognize that whatever tension you're feeling in your life, in your family, in your finances, all of those things are subject to the faithfulness of God. And our job is to put those things in God's hands, recognizing that if we do, he will do what he says he's going to do. Watch this. Let's read in Malachi chapter 3. And so if you have your Bibles, turn there. I'm going to start reading in verse 6. It will also be on the screens. Listen to this. For I am the Lord, and I do not change. Guys, that's theological, like, big time. That's a big deal. That we serve a God that doesn't change. Now, we live in a world that's changing all the time. You change all the time. Sometimes you believe this, and sometimes you believe that. Sometimes you do this, and sometimes you do that. Sometimes you feel this way, and sometimes you feel that way. Come on. But the Bible says that God never changes. And I don't know about you, but there is, there is so much good found in that reality. That when everything in the world is changing, I serve a God that is always true. That he's the same yesterday as he is today. And that should give us enormous amounts of peace when it comes to trusting him. Watch this. For I am the Lord, and I do not change. Therefore, listen to this. You are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. What's he saying? He's saying that because I'm God, and because I'm loving, and because I'm generous, and all of these things that I am, you just should thank me because I could consume you. Because I don't know about you, I've found that sometimes humanity doesn't always do it right. They're kind of obnoxious sometimes. You know, we do stupid things. We say we're going to worship God, and then we don't. We say we're going to honor God, and then we don't. Israel had the same problem. And what he's saying is, you should thank me that I haven't consumed you yet. <laughs> I love that. That we serve a God that can consume us, but he chooses not to because he's full of grace, because he's a giver, because he loves us that much. Wow, isn't that amazing? Verse 7. Yet, from the days of your father, you have gone away from me, from my ordinances. Now, everybody say ordinances. Now, this is an important word. Because see, ordinances simply mean a principle of ordinary behavior. 
Do you get it? A principle of ordinary behavior. Now, this is important because what the Bible is saying is that through his ordinances, he's saying my ordinances are clear. And what he's saying to us is that this should be a part of your ordinary behavior, not extraordinary. You know what I mean? Not extraordinary, just ordinary. Like It's like getting up and brushing your teeth, getting up and flossing, which none of you do, I know. I hate flossing. Some of you are like, I love it. It's great. It's such a, oh, it drives me nuts. And every time I go into the dentist, they're like, have you been flossing? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I can't lie to them. Like, I want to lie to them. I want to be like, yes, every day. But you know they can see. They're like, I totally can see that you're lying to me right now. And that's what we do. We try to fake out the dentist. And at the same time, we try to fake out God. So, so he, he, so this is an ordinary behavior. He says, you have gone away from my ordinances, the ordinary everyday behavior, and have not kept them. He says this, return to me. Now, who are we returning to? We're returning to the Lord who doesn't change. We're returning to the Lord that doesn't change. Notice the repetition of return to me as we go through this. And he says, if you'll return to me, I will return to to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Look at this. He gets very specific in verse 8. Will a man or woman rob God? Now, I don't know about you, but when you hear that, you're like, I would never rob God. You know what I mean? Like, if God was watching, you'd be like, I would never do that, because you know you're going to get caught. I mean, it's like the dentist times a thousand. You're never going to get that over. You're never going to pull one over on God. You know what I mean? Like, and, and so he's like, will, will a man rob me? Yet you have robbed me, he says. But you've robbed me. Now, now what have we done? Malachi gets real serious. He says, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? And God says, in the tithes and offerings. Uh-oh. Do you realize that this is a prophet of God speaking? This is God's word. This isn't me as preacher talking to you. This is the Bible speaking to you right now. And all of us have a choice. He says in tithes and offerings, verse 9, you are cursed with a curse. I, I don't like this. I sure don't like this. Do you like that? I don't like this. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So he's like, not only you, but everybody's doing it. And the result of that is a curse. That sounds serious to me. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty serious. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse or the church that there may be, what? Food in my house. And then the Bible says, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. That word try me in multiple versions of the scriptures is either prove or test. Test me in this. Prove. Let, let me prove to you. Try me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven, this is where it gets good. This is the part we like. He says, if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing, come on, that there will not be room enough to receive it. I love that. That it's, I mean, it's, it's overflowing, verse 11. And I will rebuke the devourer 
for your sake. Your finances will be protected. Even in the middle of a downturn, even in the middle of a recession, even in the middle of those things that can happen in life, God says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And then he says, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. Woo, this is getting good. Says the Lord of hosts, verse 12, and all nations will call, uh, will call you blessed, for you will be a delight in the land, says the Lord of hosts, the Lord God who doesn't change. I feel like I was amening a little bit more than you were. Amen. Because I get it. You're like, for some of us, this brings confirmation. For some of us, this brings conviction. But it should never bring condemnation. It's not there to condemn you. The very fact that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners is to free us from condemnation. But it is to draw conviction into our lives if we're not honoring God in this way. And I know, and you know, that if I don't do what God has told me to do, I will not experience the things that God wants me to experience. See, tithing is an ordinary ordinance. It's a principle of God that all believers should be practicing. Now, the thing I know in our world today is that believers tend not to. I'll get into some of the numbers later, but I can tell you this. That if every believer that attended a church said, this is my church, every believer tithed 10% of their income, our budget would triple. Do you notice in Malachi it says that there will be plenty of food in the house? That's a big deal. There'll be plenty of food. It'll be overflowing. And so as we live in that tension for a moment, could we just for a moment believe that maybe, just maybe, God will do exactly what he says he's going to do. But here's the thing that I've learned about the tithe. Why do we do it? Why does God require it? Why is the 10 such a big deal to God? Why didn't he pick 12? Why didn't he say 13? Why wasn't it 9? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I don't get it. It seems arbitrary to me. Well, one thing I think is I think 10 hurts just enough. I do. You know what I mean? It stretches you just enough. It's like that extra one that the, 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 the guy or the gal helping you with your muscles are like, here, one more, one more. You're like, no, you one more, punk. I'm done with you. Going to the locker room. I'm about to throw up now. I think there's this, that one more, right? This is that one. I think there's something about 10, but here's the other thing I know about the tithe. The number 10 in the Bible is always a test. Like, if you look at that terminology throughout the Bible, and so tithing is a test to us. You're like, what test? This test as to whether or not we'll honor God with our tithes and with our offerings. And the question that we all have to answer is, am I passing the test? If I'm receiving something, an increase, am I passing the test? Am I doing what God has told me to do? Is, so, in other words, God is testing our heart. That's why I love it. I love it so much because sometimes you know how you can wiggle? You know what I'm talking about? Like you can wiggle out of, like, well, did God really say that? You know what I'm talking about? Like you can just kind of wiggle out of it. 
And, and, and everybody's, everybody's like, oh, yeah, you're fine. It's, I know. That it, it, it's kind of gray, right? And you're like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's okay. We're all, grace. Grace team. Yes. I am all about grace team. But this is one of those things. It's a principle that actually goes over and beyond and through all of the scripture. And sometimes what people start to believe is that this is just an Old Testament teaching. Friends, that's not true. We, we want that to be true because we live in grace. We live under the law of Jesus, right? The grace law. Yes, you do. But the problem is there are still principles that are tried and true in the Bible. For example, stealing. When Jesus came into the world, saved us, did all that he did, put us under grace, does stealing, is stealing still bad? Is stealing still wrong? Did stealing go away because we're now under grace? No, there are consequences. If you steal, there are consequences. I remember when I was a little kid, I hate this. I stole, yeah, I did it. I stole Tic Tacs from Target. And my mom found out, and she made me go back in there and tell the manager that I'd stolen the Tic Tacs from Target. I hated that. I was mad at her for doing that. I was embarrassed. I felt shame, you know? And here's the thing. Stealing is wrong, even if I'm under grace. There are always consequences to the principles of God, whether we like it or not. That's why you can do something wrong and still end up in jail and God still love you. There are always consequences to God's principles and they don't just go away. And the same is true with the tithe. Now, I wonder sometimes why God did the percentage. I think it's just this. Why 10? Why 10%? I think it's an equalizer that whether you make 300,000 or whether you make 30,000, or maybe you make 300, that it's an equalizer, that it's an equalizer across the board, and it's a penny on every dime. That's what God wants us to be consistent in. And so this number 10 has always been a test in the scriptures. Now, it, it will take a little test, all right? Everybody here, we're going to take a little test. Let me ask you these questions, all right? And you just answer, as you know. So if you don't know, that's okay. Just, you can just mumble and act like you're participating. <laughs> right? How many plagues were there in Egypt? Ten. Good job, guys. Ten. You're so smart. You're like biblical scholars. He says, I'm going to test Pharaoh's heart ten times, is what the Bible says. Now, how many commandments are there? How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? Now, some of you are like, I don't know, but I'm going with 10. <laughs> Let's just keep going there, right? How many days was Daniel tested? You're like, I don't know, but 10. How many virgins were tested in Matthew 25? <laughs> How many days of testing are mentioned in Revelation? How many disciples were there? Ah, let's see if I get you. Let's see if I get you. You're listening. I was testing you. See, the Bible is very clear on this. And we have to 
understand it because God is testing our heart. God is not just trying. See, let me ask you this. Do you think God knows what's in your heart? So why would he test us? Because he's trying to reveal to you what's in your heart. He's trying to help you see that when you say he's everything, that when you say he's the Lord of your life, when you say he's the king of your heart, that that should then permeate all of the areas of your life. And I don't know about you, I'm thankful that my God tests me because there are times in my life that I get that messed up. And I'm just grateful that he set it up in such a way that I can learn to be faithful, not so that he shames us, but that so that he helps us. And I'm just grateful that we have a God that wants to do this. And as you look at this, it's really kind of interesting that God puts himself on the line here. It's a two-way test. He says, you test me, right? So God now is putting himself in the equation. And he says, if you test me in this, I will be tested. And the test that, 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 that is coming my way is whether or not I'll be faithful to what I say. This is the only time in scripture we see this. So God is putting himself in the equation and saying to you and to me, will you test me in this? Because I can promise you, if you do, on the back end of this, you will see exactly what Malachi is saying. All of these things will come into your life. All of these things will be true. It's important that we understand this. Now, as I said earlier, tithing supersedes the Old Testament. Because tithing is biblical, not just Old Testament. Tithing, the principle of tithing, the principle of first fruits, supersedes the Old Testament. It's not just an Old Testament thing. And so, what I want you to do for just a moment is I want to turn to Genesis chapter 14 because I want to show you in the scriptures and we're going to read through a variety of scriptures this morning. I want to show you that this supersedes and isn't just something that we find in the law because the law clearly says it but there's things that happen even before the law that God wants us to see because it's a principle of God. Look at this, Genesis 14, 18 through 20. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, which means peace, king of peace, brought out bread and wine, which this whole passage is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Some even believe that this was a, 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 a moment in the Old Testament where Jesus shows up in his, in a, in a, as a person, in the person of Melchizedek. And now there's arguments about that, but listen to what's happening. The king of peace, you heard of him? Jesus brought out bread and wine, communion. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, verse 20, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Melchizedek is saying this. And then he says this, that Abraham gave him a tithe of all the spoils. Now, why would this random guy, why would this random guy receive this tithe from Abraham? Why would that happen? What was going on? Well, see, this is going on 500 years before the law even showed up. So if you look at the law, when that showed up, when Moses showed up with the law, this was happening before that. 
And so there's this whole exchange happening where, where now Abraham is giving a tithe to this guy, Melchizedek. And it's interesting because it helps us to see that this supersedes. And, and, and then here's the other thing. If you go all the way back to Genesis, and we'll talk about this next week, but if you go all the way back to the first part of Genesis, heard of Cain and Abel, these guys? Well, Cain and Abel and the, the first murder in the Bible and all of that, but there's also this interaction that happens there where, where Cain and Abel offer something to God. God receives one of the offerings and he rejects the other. And we'll talk about that next week, but here's the thing. It was because Abel's offering was first. Because he honored God above all things. So I'm really excited for you to hear that message next week. Because God wants to get it. And this is like 250,000, 250, no wait, 2,500 years. There it is. Before the law. These are things that predate the law. Then watch this in Genesis Genesis 28. Stay with me. I know, I know I'm going through a lot of scripture, but I, I want to prove the point. Genesis 28, 22. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house, the church. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Do you see it? 400 years before the law. 400 years before the law, that's happening. Leviticus 27, 30. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Do you know what that means? It means it's set apart. In other words, that portion is set apart unto God. It is for the Lord. It should never be touched by me. It should never be consumed by me. I should not pay the visa bill with it. I should honor the Lord with it. Holy means to be set apart. Then watch this in Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 2. And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord has given as your inheritance, and you will possess it and dwell in it, verse 2, that you shall take some of the first of all of your produce of the ground, which you shall bring from the land that the Lord God is giving you, and put it in a basket and go to the place, the church, where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide, which for us is the church. Deuteronomy, we're, we're still going. Deuteronomy 26, 13 through 15, watch this. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house. I love this. I love this part of Deuteronomy. Watch this. And also have given them to the Levites, the strangers, the fatherless, and the widows, according to all of your commandments, which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments. I have not forgotten them. I have not eaten of it when in mourning. In other words, in tough times, I haven't eaten your tithe. Nor have I removed any of the unclean or, or removed it for any unclean use, sinful purposes. I haven't used your money for sinful purposes, nor given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Are you getting it? Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us just as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. Woo! Come on. Isn't that good? You're like, wow. I didn't realize the law could be so exciting. I didn't realize that. 
But do you notice what I love about this in this story of Deuteronomy 26? That he says, I removed the holy tithe from my house. He's like, I didn't even want it in my house. Like this was unto the Lord. It was set unto the Lord. It's like, I don't even want it in my house because if it's in my house, I'm going to be tempted to what? Spend it. I've had tests in my life. Have you ever had a test in your life where you knew that if you spent that or if you gave that to God, you were going to come up short? You ever had that moment? I remember this. We had raised a certain amount of money uh, for a clinic down in El Salvador, and it was right before the pandemic, you know? And I had this moment. It was a, it's an integrity check. God checks our integrity. But I remember there was this moment where I thought, you know, they're not going to be building that clinic anytime soon anyway. I'm just going to leave it in the bank. Now, some people might say that was wise. You know, put a little money back. Save it for a rainy day. Because you never know. I mean, we just went into a pandemic. We just had a major crash. So like, so let's just put it in there. We'll just save it. Just save it. Man, and I tell you, I had a check in my spirit. Because I knew that if I kept it in the bank, I would be tempted to use it for us. Come on. You ever had one of those? And I remember that day, I think I called somebody on our team and I said, send the money today. Get it out of the house. Because I don't want to be tempted by it. Because I never want to take something that is set apart unto God for my own purposes because what ends up happening is I might be living on 100%, but there's a problem. Because I can tell you this, if you are always better off living on 90 that's blessed than 100% that's cursed. And so God wants us to see this and take hold of this truth because he has a plan for our life if we would simply grab hold of it. Now, let me ask you this question. And, and this is a serious question. If Jesus, okay, if Jesus said to you that you should give 10% of your income to the church, what would you say? I don't know what you'd say. Some of you internally are like, well, I'd probably tell it no. But seriously, if Jesus said, I mean, not, not just Moses, right? Not Abraham, not all those guys that, you know, they don't understand my situation. They lived a long time ago and farmed with goats. You know, they don't get it. If Jesus said it to you, what would you say? What if, what if Jesus specifically told you that you should do it? Because I've found that sometimes people believe that this is just an Old Testament thing. Friends, this is not just an Old Testament thing. This is God's thing. And it's been happening from the very beginning. And we need to stop rejecting uh, the truth of, of the Bible for lies just so that we can have a little bit of extra cash because your cash is cursed friends you're like pastor i don't like this sermon i don't like you right now i get it but i'm not here to tickle your ears i'm here to tell you what the bible says and you can get mad and you can you can be like god i don't like it i don't want to do it and if i reject it i'm not gonna do it with You can. Why? Like, why would you? Like, God gives you a foolproof plan. It's better than FDIC, friends. 
God gives this to you, and, and what? We say no? But why? Why would we say no? Why would we not honor God in this way? If Jesus said it, matter of fact, come on, said, if Jesus said it in red, you know what I'm talking about? Like the red words in the New Testament. If it's in red, would you believe me? Listen, in Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, Jesus is speaking, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! He liked to call the scribes and Pharisees hypocrites. He goes on to describe their hypocrisy. Listen to it. He says, For you pay tithes of mint and anus and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Do you see it? He says, You, you give 10% of the mint. You give 10% of your spices. You do, you do it all right. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you accountants out there, you got it all figured out. Perfect. And then he says this, but you neglected the weightier matters of the law. What are the weightier matters of the law? He says justice and mercy and faith. So he's saying that you're doing all the right things, but you forgot some of the most important stuff. You forgot the why behind the what. That, that somehow I call you to this life of justice, mercy, and faith, and you're like, what does that have to do with tithing? Well, I just showed you when it comes to the mint. But then what does Jesus say? Listen, he says, these you ought to have done without leaving the other undone. So Jesus is saying, yeah, you should do what you're doing. Yes, you should do that. but you should also do the other. And so Jesus is very clearly telling us that this isn't something that just went away. This isn't something that just, you know, it's gone now. It's gone. It doesn't matter anymore. No, no, Jesus is very clearly saying, yes, it still matters. And so do that and this. You know what I love about God? God is a lot of times, he's a both and kind of God. Not an either or kind of God. And he says both and. Do them both. Love people. Be merciful. Be full of faith and love. And give the 10 because when you do you will then be demonstrating the very heart of God to the world around us so this is what we ought to do now then in Hebrews a couple more almost done promise you're like pastor there's a lot of scripture I know but I don't want you to be ignorant to what the Bible says Hebrews 7 8 says this here Mortal men receive what? Ties. But there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. What, what does that mean? In other words, when we put our money in the box, when we send in our check, when we type in that text gift to the church, what he's saying, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that men, women receive it on earth. But watch this. While we receive it on earth, Jesus is receiving it in heaven. Yeah. I don't know about you, but that's pretty powerful to think about. That as I give unto the Lord here on earth, the writer of Hebrews tells me that Jesus is also receiving it. In other words, Jesus is not just telling me to tithe. Jesus is receiving my tithe in the spiritual. Yeah. Woo! Guys, this is amazing. 
And I hope this helps you today. I hope it makes you think, you know what? God is up to something different. Maybe I haven't done it right. I, I, God is proving himself to me. And so, 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 so the tithe is a test. It's very, very biblical. And then finally, tithing is a blessing. A couple more scriptures. You guys okay? All right, just shake it off. Whew, whew. A couple more scriptures. I want to look at Second Chronicles. 31 through 4. Listen, Hezekiah is reading the scriptures. He's a king. He's reading the scriptures and he notices something's wrong. Okay? He notices that the people of God are not giving the way that they should be giving. Watch this in verse 4. Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support. Do you see it? For the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. See, Hezekiah is reading the Bible. He sees that the people are not doing it. He recognizes at this time in history, they were in the middle of an economic recession. What do you do in the middle of an economic recession? Well, you should probably just stop giving to God. That's a great idea. Nope, not a good idea because you're cutting yourself off from the blessing. Now, pastor, are you nuts? I know the difference between have and have not. You're absolutely right. I absolutely know the difference. I've been there in my life. But I can tell you, when everything goes to pot, <laughs> when the recession hits, you should keep doing what God has told you to do regardless of how you feel. Because you are now connected to a source that is greater than your recession. That is greater than the world around you. I don't care if the world is going through this or that. God is still true. God never changes. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. So you can trust that when you build it on that foundation, he will pour out the blessing in your life if you will honor him with the tithe. Whoo! God, help us today that in the middle of an economic recession, he instructs the people to give. Hezekiah shows up and says, hey, we got to get this right. So he gathers the people together and he says, we need to start giving. We need to start doing exactly what the Lord has told us to do, even though it doesn't make any sense to do it. And you know what happens? <laughs> it's so good. Listen to this. Verse 5. As soon as the command was circulated. The children of Israel brought in abundance of first fruits of grain and wine, oil and honey, and all the produce of the field, and they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. Do you see what the people of God are doing? They're giving it. They're bringing it. Verse 6, And the children of Israel and Judah who dwelt in the city of Judah brought the tithe of the oxen and the sheep and the tithe of the holy things which were consecrated to the Lord their God and they laid them up in heaps. Everybody say, heaps. Come on. Heaps. In the third month they began laying them in heaps and they finished in the seventh month. They took, 
There was harvest time, verse 8. And when Hezekiah and the leaders came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. Then look what, I, look what Hezekiah says in verse 9. Then Hezekiah questions the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. He's like, there's so many heaps. There's heaps everywhere. Where are all the heaps coming from? It's because the people of God started to do what God told them, and there were a bunch of heaps around. And this is what he says because he's a compassionate king. He's a compassionate king. He loves the people of God. Verse 10, he talks to Ezariah, uh, the chief priest, and the house of Zadok. And, he, and, and, and they say to him, they say to him, since the people began to bring the offerings into what? The house of the Lord. We have had enough to eat and had plenty left for the Lord. And he blessed his people. And what is left is a great abundance. Is a great abundance. Is a great abundance. <laughs> I don't know if you're getting it, people. But Hezekiah shows up and says, man, there's so many heaps. Are the people of God doing okay? Because they've been given so much and there's so many heaps. He starts to wonder. He's like, do they have enough to eat? Do they have enough goat? Do they have enough oil? Do they have enough whatever they need? Do they have enough? And the priests are like, yeah, man, they have everything they need. They have everything they need. And not only do they have everything they need, but we have heaps. And we have heaps. And we have heaps. And it's because the people of God caught a vision of generosity that is well beyond their ability, well beyond economics, well beyond uh, savings, well beyond all those things because they caught hold of a principle of God. Yeah. And let me just ask you, so they're given 10%. Can you imagine what their 90 was doing? Because see, when we put God first, he blesses the rest. And I think about the people of God in this passage of Scripture, how good they were doing. Hezekiah doesn't have to worry at all. Believe me, they're doing fine. And not only are they doing fine, but the house of the Lord is doing great. And there's an abundance. Every week we come in to the church, some of us. Some of you only come 1.9 times a month, but we're working on that. And you come and you sit and you enjoy the food. You know what I'm talking about? Spiritual food. You getting anything out of this? And you get that meal. And here's the thing. We come and we take and we eat and we enjoy. And then we leave. Never to contribute anything. And friends, I just want to say to you. You can keep doing that. God loves you. Nothing is going to change that. But what would it look like if you decided, you know what? I'm not just going to do that. I'm going to make sure I give what's mine to give so that more people can be fed. So that we can have heaps and heaps and heaps. Come on, who doesn't want some heaps in their life? We need heaps so that we can continue to do the work that God has called us to do. You know what? We would never have to take another legacy offering if everybody in this church gave 10% of their income. We would have heaps. We would pay for things in cash if the people of God caught a revelation that was greater than what we're currently experiencing. Now, for, uh, for those of you in the room that are non-tithers, I don't want you to feel shame. I don't want you to feel condemnation. 
I do want you to feel conviction so that you can begin to interact with the Lord on that deal. Because I so much, as your pastor, want you to receive this revelation in your life so that you can experience the 90% that's blessed. The Bible says so clearly that God will rebuke the devourer off of our finances. Some of you, your finances are being destroyed by the devourer because you're not honoring God. And the moment you do, you get the protection of the Lord. Do you know how good it is to have the protection of the Lord on your finances? You need this. I need this. So may we be a people that sees it, that moves towards it, and says yes to God. Amen? Let's pray together. As we kind of just bow our heads for a moment, with our heads bowed, eyes closed, I, I want to share just a story. In the Bible, Jesus tells a story, a parable, of how, and he's actually the the leader in the parable. He's the, he's the owner. And it says that he goes away on a long journey. And before he leaves, he makes provision for the people he cares about most. He sets aside money. Do you see it? He sets aside, he, he, he sets it aside unto the Lord. And he gives it to three different individuals. And he says, what I want you to do with this money is I want you to take care of mine. Specifically, I just think about like if he was married, I want you to take care of my bride. And the first does exactly what he says. Just for a moment, just think that maybe he had $10,000 to work with and he, he was told to give $1,000 to the bride. And he was faithful and he gave that $1,000 every month to take care of that bride. The second man was faithful and he decided to give 2000 of that 10000 every month to take care of the bride. But then there was the third man who decided that maybe it wasn't wise to do that. And so maybe the first month he gave him, he gave the bride 700 or then the next month 500 and 200 and then nothing. So the way the story goes is that Jesus being the owner and the story comes back and he, he talks about how each of these people did what they were supposed to do except the third one. And here's the point I'm making. Tithing is personal to Jesus. Because it's through the tithe that he takes care of his bride, the church. And so for anybody in the room today that you would say that you've been the third man in the story, I want to pray for you. 
I'm going to pray a prayer for you. So would you join me in this prayer? If this is you, if you're the third one in the story, would you pray this prayer with me if you want? Heavenly Father, I recognize that I have not loved you with my finances. I've not trusted you with my finances. I've said a lot of things. I've done a lot of things, but I have not set it apart for your bride. And I recognize that I'm robbing you and robbing the bride. And so God, I ask your forgiveness. I ask your forgiveness today, Lord. And I commit myself to honoring you today, not tomorrow, today, with the first, the first fruits of my increase. I, I give to you, God, would you give me help? Would you give me faith? Would you give me trust to believe you? And I pray right now in the name of Jesus for anybody in this room that's taking that step of faith. I pray the blessing of God on you. I pray in real time God would show up in ways that you've never seen, ways that you couldn't even think or imagine that the devourer would be rebuked off of your finances, off of your home, off of your family, off of your life altogether as you honor God in this way. In Jesus' name, Father, we pray it. Jesus loves us so much that he was willing to give his only son. God loves us so much. I don't know if you realize this, but you're his bride. And perhaps you're separated from him because of your sin and your, your disobedience and you're walking away from him. And the Bible says that if you'll come back to him today, if you'll say yes to the Savior, if you'll commit your life to him, if you'll ask for forgiveness, that he will come in and he will save you and set you free and set you on a path that leads to an abundance. And so, Father, I want to pray for anybody in this room today that would say that that is not true of their story. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he will come in. And so, so what I want to do for just a moment is pray for anybody in this room that would say that if they left this place today, they're not sure they would spend eternity with God. And so I want to pray for you. And so church, let's all pray together. If this is you, if you want to take the step of faith, I ask you that you would repeat this prayer with me. But church, let's all pray together. Heavenly Father. I need a Savior. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you wash me clean? I surrender myself to you. Be Lord of my life. I give you my all. Change me from the inside out. Transform me into the image of Christ. I choose this day to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate those that are making decisions. I'm so proud of you.